Section 47 of A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. A History of the Inquisition of Spain, Volume 3, by Henry Charles Lee. Book 8, Chapter 2. Spheres of Action, Moriscos, Part 9. It can readily be believed that the matter had long before awakened the earnest solicitude of Philip II and his counselors. As early as 1581, when in Lisbon consolidating his rule over Portugal, he formed a junta of his chief advisers to formulate a definite conclusion. That which they reached was the merciful one of sending to sea all the Moriscos who would not be catechized or did not desire to remain embarking them on worthless ships which were to be scuttled for it was deemed unwise to add to the population of africa it was resolved that when the fleet returned from the azores the plan should be executed by antonio de leva but when the fleet arrived it was wanted in flanders and the project was abandoned when in sixteen o two philip was informed of this he expressed his pleasure because it justified what was then in contemplation as fray diego de chavez confessor of philip the second was a member of the junta there could have been no conscientious scruples concerning this wholesale murder the church for centuries had taught that death was the penalty for heresy this was past discussion and was accepted as a matter of course so that anything short of it was a grace undeserved slavery the galleys the mines castration were mercies for which the culprits should feel grateful so all theologians taught and so fray bleda learnedly set forth in his hideous book the defensio fidei which was approved in rome after careful examination and was printed at the expense of philip the third yet for the honor of humanity it must be said that there were a few rare souls who held that religion should be spread by love and charity at least we may so assume from a memorial presented to the lisbon junta setting forth that the proper means of conversion had never yet been tried that the cure had failed through the use of violence for the disease was not incurable and the fault lay in the methods adopted christ had sent forth the apostles to convert the world by preaching the gospel and the effort should be to find teachers of exemplary life who would preach with love and gentleness the memorial recited calmly and temperately the mistakes that had been made in the use of coercion and the absence of instruction and persuasion and it proposed a series of measures which show that the writer was familiar with the difficulties of the task the essential condition of which was that those entrusted with it should persuade themselves that it was not impossible the junta contented itself with proposing that if the king so desired the memorial could be sent to the prelates of valencia aragon and granada for examination and report it seems to have been so sent but only two answers are on record archbishop ribero replied with the alternative of immediate expulsion or what would be better thinning out the moriscos by appointing a body of special inquisitors who should execute speedy justice until there should be so few left that they could be expelled without trouble thus calmly proposing to burn men and women by the hundred thousand a shade less ferocious was the suggestion of the inquisitor of valencia jimenez de reynoso who favored expulsion to newfoundland under the guard of soldiers who should receive allotments of land and vassals similar to those of the conquistadores in the new world such an expulsion averted the danger of increasing the african population and was recommended with a characteristically savage addition by martin de salvatierra bishop of segorbe when in fifteen eighty seven his advice was sought by philip 
he responded by a long and brutal attack on the moriscos and suggested deportation to newfoundland where they would speedily perish especially if the precaution were taking of castrating all the males old and young it is to the credit of philip ii and his counsellors that after the failure of the lisbon project of fifteen eighty one they refused to entertain the inhumane suggestions of their ecclesiastical advisers the matter continued to be threshed out over and over again in repeated juntas and councils in innumerable consultas and in the system which philip had reduced to perfection of endless talking and writing which served as an excuse for inaction one device after another was discussed such as reducing all the moriscos to slavery or sending the able body to the galleys but the idea of expulsion gradually forged to the front in this confused tangle of prejudice passion and fanaticism it is refreshing to meet with a more statesmanlike view expressed in a letter of the royal secretary francisco de iraquez october third fifteen ninety four concerning a paper submitted to him by the king from some zealous but unpractical person who argued that the existing scarcity arose from overpopulation which would be relieved by the expulsion of the moriscos so far from this being the case said idiaquez spain had less inhabitants than for the last two or three centuries if the presence of this vile race were as safe as it was profitable there was not a corner of the land that should not be placed in their hands for they alone would bring fertility and plenty by their skill and thrift which would reduce the price of provisions and with them that of other products cheapness was not caused by scanty population but by dense if the people would work the high prices were the result of the vice the idleness the luxury and the excessive superfluities indulged in by all classes the panic fear entertained of the moriscos is reflected in an elaborate memorial presented to philip the third on his accession in fifteen ninety eight by the marquis of velada who had been his tutor and was his mayordomo mayor seriously urging sicilian vespers to prevent them from adopting the same expedient yet the simpler solution of allowing the irreconcilables to depart was not without its advocates and at one time came near to adoption in fifteen ninety eight don martin gonzalez de seorigo submitted to secretary idiaquez the suggestion that they should be permitted or required to leave spain scattering the rest throughout castile on their abjuring their heresies and subjecting them to the restrictions imposed on the exiles from granada even as late as sixteen o seven the junta de tres to which the whole affair of the moriscos had been entrusted in a consulta of january first favored the plan of allowing all who would not accept christianity to betake themselves to barbary pointing out the futility of the objection that this would increase the power of the moors and this it repeated october twenty ninth adding the suggestion that the moriscos of castile should be scattered and confined to agricultural labor in all of which philip signified his concurrence this was too sensible and humane to suit the ecclesiastics who were bent on getting rid of the obnoxious apostates by expulsion or extermination and spain was not to be allowed so easy a solution of the difficulties created by a century of fanaticism and wrongdoing in the irresolute and vacillating policy of the court a final effort was made as we have seen to conciliate and instruct in the edict of grace of fifteen ninety nine under conditions that rendered it nugatory its failure in sixteen o one was followed by the memorials of archbishop ribera urging expulsion and at any subsequent efforts to convert such as a junta of bishops held in sixteen o eight and sixteen o nine were merely to keep the moriscos amused and in ignorance of the more drastic measures proposed during the years in which philip the third and his advisers discussed and rediscussed the question pondered over details and avoided an irrevocable decision 
when under pressure of the alarm about Moulay Sidan, Philip called upon his Council of State for an immediate decision. It admitted that there had been too much delay and that the matter must not be left for the next generation, for the Christians, through wars and religion and dissolute lives, were constantly diminishing in numbers, while the Moriscos, through peace and frugality, were multiplying until time they would be the majority. The alternatives of massacre or slavery or the galleys or allowing the discontented to emigrate were barely alluded to, and expulsion was in the minds of all. The external relations of Spain rendered the opportunity perpetuous, and it ought not to be wasted. The work should commence with Valencia, which was the most dangerous center, and the other kingdoms could be kept quiet with assurances that the expulsion was not to go further. The opposition of the nobles could be bought off by granting them the real and personal property of their vassals, and preparations should be made to have a powerful fleet off the coast by the end of spring, and sufficient forces on land to crush resistance. As the Inquisition was in the habit of making many arrests, it could readily seize the influential Moriscos so as to deprive the rest of their leadership. This sketched out the plan eventually followed, and the only partially dissentient voice was that of the royal confessor, Cardinal Fray Geronimo Xavier, who pleaded the forcible baptism and the futile endeavors to instruct by ministers, many of whom were of lives so depraved that they wrought harm by their evil example. He asked that efforts to convert should continue, and if, by the time set for expulsion, there was no prospect of improvement, the proposed rigor would be justified. A process could then be formed by the Inquisition as to their apostasy, when they could be condemned for treasons against God, or, if rebellion were proved, for treason against the king. This last suggestion refers to a characteristic scruple. Ribera had alluded to it in his second memorial, to the effect that expulsion would be an invasion of ecclesiastical jurisdiction, depriving it of inflicting the canonical punishments, but this, he suggested, could be removed by application to the Pope. It was doubtless in view of this scruple, and to avoid interference by the Inquisition, which was interested in maintaining the existing situation, that the edict of expulsion represented the measure as purely secular, caused by the treasonable correspondence of the Moriscos with the enemies of Spain, and by the necessity of placating God for their heresies. Still, there were irresolution and delay, and the die was not cast until, in April 1609, the Council of State presented a consulta unanimously agreeing on expulsion, and virtually determining that the work should commence in autumn, the interval being employed in organizing the militia, bringing troops from Italy, and assembling squadrons to command the coast. Early in May, orders were sent to the viceroys of Sicily, Naples, and Milan to have the galleys in readiness, and, at the end of June, the squadrons were instructed to rendezvous at Majorca on August 15th. Even after this, there were evidences of hesitation and vacillation, but the plan was adhered to. Early in August, Don Agustin de Mejia, an officer of high rank, who had distinguished himself at the siege of Ostend, was sent to Valencia ostensibly to inspect the fortifications but armed with full powers to carry out the expulsion he bore a letter from the king to ribera expatiating on the influence which the latter had had in leading him to a decision ribera had obtained more than he had bargained for his somewhat selfish theory had been that by expelling the moriscos from the rest of spain those of valencia and aragon could be controlled and he shrank from the loss and misery to be inflicted on his immediate surroundings as late as december nineteenth sixteen o eight he had urged this view in a letter to the royal secretary arguing that they were an injury to castile and andalusia while their removal would be ruin to valencia and aragorn now the most flourishing kingdoms of spain the larger cities he said lived on the provisions brought by the moriscos 
the churches, hospitals, monasteries, brotherhoods, pious bequests, nobles, gentry, and citizens depended on their services and were supported by the censos charged on their communities. He often wished to die rather than to witness such destruction. So, when Mejia reached Valencia August 20th, and after conference with the viceroy Caracena, Ribeiro was sent for and read the royal letter. He repeated these arguments and proposed that all three should join in appeal to the king to commence with Andalusia. When the conference ended at 4 p.m., he was still firm and was told that a courier for Madrid would start at midnight when he could write what he saw fit. On reflection, he concluded that the king wanted obedience, not advice, and he sent to the palace in time for the courier a letter to the king and word to Mejia and Caracena, setting forth that the royal resolution came from heaven and he would further it with all his power. Still, he could not reconcile himself to the prospect of poverty. On August 23rd, he wrote to Secretary de Prada, repeating his urgency that commencement be made with Castile and Andalusia. On September 3rd, he said to Fray Bleda and the Dominican prior Alcocer, Padres, we may well in the future have to eat bread and herbs and mend our own shoes. The secret had been admirably kept, but the mission of Mejillo on a duty so incompatible with his rank caused suspicions which grew from day to day. The Moriscos commenced to fortify their houses, to cease laboring and bringing provisions to the city, which suffered in consequence. The nobles brought their families to town to be prepared for the worst, and Ribera's action in increasing his guard and laying in stores of victuals increased the excitement. The Estamento Militar, or House of Nobles, held two or three stormy meetings in which it was resolved to send a deputation to the king to represent the ruin which expulsion would bring upon every class in the kingdom, where eleven millions of ducats were invested in the censos charged on the Morisco communities. The envoy went bust. When they reached Madrid, they were told by the king that it was too late, for the edict had been already published in Valencia. Everything, in fact, had worked with precision. By September 17th, the fleet, consisting of 62 galleys and 14 galleons, conveying about 8,000 disciplined troops, had reached their stations at Alicante, Denia, and the Alfiques de Tortosa had commenced landing the men. Possession was taken of the Sierra de Espadan, while Castilian cavalry guarded the frontiers. When all was in readiness, royal letters to the Gerados Deputados and the Estamento Militar were read, and on the 22nd, the edict was published. The comparative liberality of the terms in the short notice allowed manifest the sense of weakened power. Under irremissible pain of death, within three days after publication, in the several towns and villages, all Moriscos were to depart for the port of embarkation designated by a commissioner. They could take such portable property as they could carry on their backs. They would find vessels ready to carry them to Barbary and would be fed on the voyage. During the three days, all must remain at home awaiting the orders of the commissioners, and after that, anyone absent from his domicile could be robbed by the first comer and carried to a magistrate or be slain if offering resistance. As the king gave to the lords all real and personal property not carried off, any firing of houses or harvests or hiding of portable things would be punished by putting to death all the inhabitants of the place. In order to preserve the houses, the sugar mills, the rice crop, and the irrigating canals, 6% of the Moriscos were allowed to remain. The same permission was given to those who, for two years, had lived among Christians without attending the meetings of the Alhamas, as well as those admitted to communion by their priests. Children under four years of age desiring to stay could do so, with consent of parents or guardians. Children under six, whose fathers were old Christians, were to stay, together with their Morisco mothers. If the father was a Morisco and the mother was an old Christian, he was to go, and children under six were to stay with their mother. 
Sheltering fugitives was forbidden, under pain of six years of galleys, and all soldiers and old Christians were strictly forbidden to insult or injure Moriscos by word or deed. As an evidence of good faith, after every installment had been carried to Barbary, ten were allowed to return and report to their fellows what their treatment had been. The publication was followed by days of anxious suspense. The people, we are told, rejoiced, for they hated both the Moriscos and the nobles, and there were symptoms of a rising against the latter. The lords grieved over the ruin of their lands and the religious communities over the loss of their enormous investments in censos. The Moriscos at first were inclined to resist, and after vainly offering large sums to the viceroy, they sought to arm themselves by forging plowshares and reaping hooks into pikes, with which slings were their only weapons. Then suddenly their purpose changed. They were awed by the large bodies of disciplined troops and by the cavalry on the border. A meeting was held of their alfiques and leaders, in which it was agreed that resistance was hopeless, and that, in the case of defeat, their children would be brought up as Christians, while prophecies were talked of, which promised an unexpected blessing. Consequently, it was resolved that all should go, including the six percent allowed to remain, and that anyone who stayed should be regarded as an apostate. This had such an effect that those who had been offering large sums to be included in the six percent now refused to stay, although asked to name their own terms. The Duke of Gandia, who had an enormous sugar crop and who could get no other skilled labor to work in his mills, vainly offered whatever they might ask. The only condition they would accept was the free exercise of their religion. The Duke applied to the Viceroy, but Ribera declared it to be a concession beyond the power of king or pope to grant, for they were baptized. The nobles, for the most part, loyally accepted this situation and aided in the execution of the decree. The Duke of Gandia, who, next to the Duke of Segorbe, had the largest number of vassals, wrote to the king, October ninth, that on September 28th the Marquis of Santa Cruz had embarked for him 5,000 of them, whom he desired to be the first, in order to quiet the apprehensions of the rest as to the safety of the voyage. To protect and reassure their vassals, a number of the nobles, the Duke of Gandia, the Marquis of Albeda, and others, accompanied them and saw them safely on shipboard, and the Duke of Maqueda, even sailed with them to Oran, the point of debarkation. All, however, were not thus self-sacrificing. Bishop Balaguer of Orihela reported, October 31st, that some were retaining their vassals by threats or by force, and that, unless energetic commissioners were sent, many would be kept. The Moriscos objected to abandoning their personal effects to their lords and sought to convert what they possessed into money. Gandia and some others permitted this, but many insisted on their rights, and on October 1st the viceroy issued a proclamation forbidding all sales, but this led to eminent danger of rebellion and was wisely abandoned. The land became a universal fair in which stock, produce, and household gear were sold at a fraction of their value and finally were given away. The growl or port of Valencia, while the exiles were awaiting fair winds, became a bazaar in which Exquisite Moorish garments, rare embroideries, rich gold and silver laces, and the like, were bought for a song. As soon as the first shock was over, of abandoning home and possessions, the prospect of reaching a land where they could openly profess their faith and escape paralyzing oppression, stimulated them to intense eagerness to leave Spain. They contended for places in the first embarkation, and the commissioners had no trouble in assembling and leading them to the designated ports. Troops escorted them to protect them from the savage greed of the old Christians, who gathered in bands, robbing and often murdering those whom they encountered. Royal edicts commanding swift justice were issued, gallows were erected along the roadsides, and executions were numerous, but it was impossible to prevent outrages. In spite of this, the Moriscos pressed forward to the shores. 
at alicante they came with music and song thanking allah for the happiness of returning to the land of their fathers which suggests how simple a solution of the question it would have been to permit the emigration of the discontented many indeed distrusting the royal faith preferred to charter ships and pay for transportation which was encouraged by providing elaborate regulations to ensure as far as possible their safe passage and fair treatment all the spanish ports were ordered to send their ships to the valencia coast even discharging those which were loaded and all arrivals were pressed into service seeing this eagerness the promise of free passage was broken after the first embarkation and the royal galleys charged the same fare as the private vessels seventy-five reales per head for all over sixteen and thirty-five for those younger in all there were three embarkations occupying about three months and including according to lists kept at the ports over a hundred and fifty thousand souls this eagerness to go was however not universal there were many who not unreasonably felt little confidence in the royal faith and preferred the chances of resistance gathering into bands they sought refuge in two easily defensible positions one on a peak in the val de aguar where their numbers were reckoned at from fifteen to twenty-five thousand and the other in the muela de cortes where there were said to be about nine thousand mejia paid no attention to them until the business of embarkation was nearly concluded when they were readily reduced in the val de aguar it was a massacre of the weaponless wretches rather than a battle three thousand moriscos were slain and only one spaniard bautista crespo who was killed by his own firelock the survivors starved frozen and dying with thirst surrendered at discretion november twenty eighth and were conducted to the port of embarkation but many perished of exhaustion on the road and many women and children were stolen by the soldiers and sold as slaves while of those who embarked but few reached africa at the muela de cortes they surrendered on the promise of safety to life and property provided they embarked within three days but the soldiery disappointed at the loss of expected booty fell upon them only three thousand were brought to the seaports and more than two thousand scattered among the mountains where for a year or two they gave much trouble they had elected as king vicente torrigi who was tracked to a cave and brought to valencia where he was put to a cruel death december eighteenth he died as a good Christian and made a most edifying end, for we are told that he had been a most liberal almsgiver, and was devoted to the Virgin and to the religious orders. This ended the only open resistance to the expulsion throughout Spain. End of section 47